Hey guys, here we are, the Quick and Out of May podcast, episode 70, and I went a little different this time, and I know you guys are thinking, who's this guy? Who's that magnificent beard that's on the other end of that screen? Um, you may know him from the events that happened, I believe it was now 12 years ago, the man that was dubbed the subway hero himself, Joe Ozito. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Are, are people still calling you the subway hero? I just want to know. It's just right off the bat. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it's pretty much just, no one really calls me that. My, my dad, every time I, I speak to him on the phone will tell me that I'm his hero and, uh, and, and maybe my mom too, but that's probably about it. I, every now and then I may get someone say, are you the guy from the subway? Uh, but, uh, but nobody calls me that. Yeah. Well, and I don't mean to make light of the situation and anybody who doesn't know, instead of giving you a backstory on Joe, I'm really just going to let Joe kind of command this one. Um, and talk about that fateful day that was almost 12 years to the day. I know it was just a few. The anniversary was not too long ago. Yeah. Um, I kind of just want you to talk me through that day and kind of explain to people like <laughs> how you got that nickname, you know, why people gave you that nickname. But realistically, I want you to talk about that mindset going through. So can you kind of just walk us through, you know, the beginning of that day to that moment that, you know, everything changed for you forever? Sure. Um so at the time I was living in Philadelphia, I'm, I'm back on Long Island right now, but I was living in Philadelphia and I was working at Lincoln Center, which is in New York City. And so it was a, a two and a half hour commute one way uh, from Philadelphia to New York. And what I would do is uh, drive from Philadelphia to New Jersey, jump on New Jersey Transit. That would take me to Penn Station and then uh, jump on the subway and that would bring me right to my job. And this particular day started out like any other day. And uh, I got up and I, I did my morning routine and uh, got in the car, drove to Jersey and jumped on the uh, on the Long Island, um, New Jersey Transit. <laughs> well, yeah, well, now it's the Long Island Railroad. So um, I get to Penn Station and the, there's uh, a couple of subway lines. So for people not familiar with uh, I know not everybody has public transportation, but in, in New York City, um, we have subways, we have railroads, we have L trains. So subway, uh, the stop that I get on is under Madison Square Garden for, for so people have a point of reference. And under the under Madison Square Garden, there are subway lines that run local, which means they make all stops. And there are um, express, which skip stops. They go to the main stops. Uh, I take a local train. But this day, the, the day, um, I guess it was the whole weekend, the local trains were not running at all. So every train was making express stops. So the reason why I say this is because there are a couple of things that day that normally don't happen. Um, so the platform that I was on was going to make express stops anyway. Now, on the other side of the station, there are there's another platform with two express trains. So since the local train was was making express stops, all three trains were going express. But only one train stopped on my platform and two trains stop on the other one. So in my head, I'm thinking, well, if I go to the other platform, I won't have to wait as long for a train. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. So I went to the other platform where the two and the three trains stop. I, I hadn't done it before that. And of course, I haven't done it since then. That was just a one time thing. I go to that platform. I get on the subway. It's an uptown three train. I get on the train and uh uh, maybe 10 seconds after me, two police officers get on and they go right in with the um, the engineer. And I'm right at the front of the train, right behind the engineer. So basically the only thing separating me from the person driving the train is a wall. 
and the police are in with the uh, with the engineer. And normally doors open 10 seconds, 15 seconds, they close, we go. Uh, they stayed open a little longer, then they closed, and we didn't really accelerate very fast. And I was, you know, it was a Saturday morning in New York. In New York, I figured, I don't know, maybe something's up, but probably not. It's probably just a Saturday morning in New York. And we're crawling and we're crawling. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this guy comes up to the door to get into the, the engineer's booth. And um, he says, let me in. And the guy, people on the other side of the door say, who are you? He says, I'm the police. Now, what he doesn't realize is he's talking to the police on the other side of the door. He just thinks he's talking to the engineer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the police on the other side of the door say, you're not the police. And with that, this guy walks back, sits down. Now, right after that, there was a guy standing next to me and he bolts right up to the door. Except this guy, it looks like he's going to shit his pants. He's tapping on the door, waving the police to come out, tapping on the door, waving the police to come out, all while looking over his shoulder at the first guy that came up there. So now I'm going, all right, something's up. This this isn't right. I don't know what's going on. So the first guy starts to make his way back up to the door. With that, the guy that's up there, he hightails it back right next to me. And the guy that the first guy, I keep calling him first guy, second guy, but the first guy comes up, he stops about two feet from me, about three feet from the door, looks down at me. I look up at him. He reaches into the back of his jacket, whips out an eight inch knife and says, you're going to die. You're going to die. And, and whap, stabs me right here under, under this eye. So now I'm like, okay. And I don't really have a lot of time to think. So it's not like I have time to formulate a game plan. So I guess it was just instinct and, and, the MMA part of this comes in is uh, I, I went for a single leg takedown. Now, understand that I had, I still don't have any training at all. It was just from years of watching MMA. So I'm thinking, again, and this is, a you know, it's it's simple. You go after a guy's legs, you get him down, right? Except that it was, the since I had no training, it was the worst single leg takedown ever in the history of the world. And I went, I shot in too high and it, I ended up wrapping my arms around his waist. It was more like a football tackle. Mm -hmm. So the good, new, the good news was I was able to take him down. The bad news was he had free reign on my head and he stabbed me three times, like huge gashes in my head. So I get him down. I have dominant position, but he still has the knife. And while he's on his back, he's like slashing up at me. And um, he slashed up at me twice. The first time he sliced the uh, the webbing here on my thumb. Second time he slashed me in the tricep. Finally, the third time when he when he raised his arm up, I was able to catch it. I slammed his arm down and uh, the knife came out. And uh, it was at that point where the police finally came out of the uh, engineer's booth and tapped me on the shoulder and said, you can get up now. We got him. Um, and uh, you just got stabbed. Well, I got times, seven like. times. They watched the whole thing go down and uh, they didn't come out. And um, so let me fast forward a little bit. So now someone had pulled the emergency brake. So we're sitting in the tunnel between 34th Street, 34th Street and 42nd Street. Again, for people frame of reference, don't necessarily know New York City. Uh, 34th is under Madison Square Garden and 42nd Street is normally the epicenter of the world people know it as times square things like that so mm -hmm. we're in the tunnel but we're stopped and now all of a sudden they're they're trying to handcuff this guy 
he's squirming around and I'm sitting on the subway seat now. And now I realize how badly I'm bleeding and I have blood coming out. You know, the, the two biggest cuts were in the back of my head and I basically have blood pouring out like this. And what I always tell people is uh, if you stand in your shower and have the water hit you behind the neck and you watch the water pour down, that's basically what the blood was doing to me that day. Um, I sat there upwards of 20, 25 minutes bleeding out, hoping, praying that they were going to get the train moving. I found out they didn't get the train moving because they had to wait for all the police officers that were on the tracks. And to me, it just seems like once you got a guy in custody, just yell on the radio, get we got him, whatever, and get off the tracks. There was really no no urgency to get me off the train, get me to the hospital. So anyway... We end up, fast forward, we end up getting the 42nd Street. They had cleared the uh, station. The only people that were there were the paramedics. Now, I was also lied lied to on the train. I was begging for any sort of assistance. The police on the train told me that the paramedics would be coming from the back of the train. And I kept looking, kept looking, kept looking. Next thing I know, we're moving. And I'm like, wait a second, what about the paramedics? And they were like, well, they're going to meet us at 42nd Street. So it was a lot of bullshit, you know, being told to me that day. We finally get to 42nd Street. They take the first guy off and the paramedics come in. They um, they lift me off the subway seat. They're going to put me on the stretcher. And at that point, uh, I pass out. But it, it's kind of like passing out while you're watching TV. So even though you, your eyes are closed, you can still hear what's going on. So mm -hmm. I still hear what's going on. But then all of a sudden, and it was maybe for five seconds, I snap out of it, and that was the first time I felt any pain. I guess that was the adrenaline dump because now my head feels like it's on fire. The whole time everything was happening, I felt the blood kind of spurting out of my head. I felt the knife, you know, I felt the pressure, but no, it didn't. I didn't feel the cut, I guess, because of all the adrenaline. This is when I first felt the pain, and I, I mean, it was a pain like I've never felt before, and I hope I never feel again. Um, I, I snap out of it. They get me upstairs. Paramedics were unreal. They were so great. Um, they got me in the ambulance. Thankfully, it was a uh, Saturday morning, not too much traffic in New York. They get me into the hospital. They wheel me into this room, and there it feels like there's 15, 20 people, and they're cutting my clothes off, uh, asking me questions, all this other stuff. And a police officer comes to the, the head of the bed, and he shows me a mugshot. And he says, is this the guy that did this to you? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, well, you're a hero. And I said, well, I'm not a hero. Why am I a hero? He goes, well, he killed four people last night. So that was the first time that I was made aware that this wasn't some rando that was just going around hurting people. Um, I found out later the gentleman's name was Maxim Gelman. He was on a 28-hour killing spree. He killed his stepfather. He killed a girl that he was uh, infatuated with. He killed her mother. And he um, ran over a guy that just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So every what, what I realized after that, putting two and two together, the guy that went up to the door second obviously knew who Maxim Gelman was. Everybody, I think, on the train that day knew who he was, except for me, because it wasn't in my news cycle yet, because, again, I was coming from Philadelphia. Yeah. So I think everybody knew who it was, including the police, because basically by that point, they were alerted that Maxim Gelman was in the subway system. So they basically had they just flooded the subways with police officers. 
And these two officers on the train with me had the opportunity to make a career defining arrest and instead chose not to and hid for their own safety. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm blessed. I'm still here. I didn't, uh, I didn't die, although I lost a ton of blood and, um, like seven wounds later here I am. And that's, that's so crazy because I know somebody's going to watch it and be like, ah, oh, don't talk about the police. Listen, there are good people in the world. There are bad people. There are good cops. There are bad cops. There, there's, there's good and evil. Like, I don't want to say good and evil, but realistically that man that day was evil. Well, that was. Let me, let me kill that narrative for you right now. I, my sister is a retired New York City cop. I have cops in my family on both sides, my side and my wife's side. I am not anti-cop at all. Unlike a lot of people in the world now, I can separate a bad apple or two from the bunch. So just because I had the two single worst cops in the history of the world on the train with me that day, I don't broad brush police in general, law enforcement in general, or the NYPD in general. Absolutely not. I just had the unlucky opportunity to be on there with the two shittiest cops ever. So, um, so yeah, I have no, people should know that I, if anything, I'm pro law enforcement. If, if you wanted to put me on a side, because I had a family member that for 20 years went to work every day, not knowing if she was coming home or not. So uh, I'll, I'll squash that. Uh, he's anti-cop narrative right now. Yeah. And I, I love that you did that because mm -hmm. that was not, that wasn't like, Hey, you should probably say this like right now <laughs> before people get pissed off. But realistically, that's how this should be. There was a situation that was life changing for you because I mean, like you said, you're sitting there pouring blood and they're like, let me just, uh, we'll, we'll meet you at the next, like, no, mm -hmm. get, yeah. get him some help. And we talked about it and <clears throat> I don't think I've ever brought him up on the show, but my best friend of 20, how we're at, I, I've lost count. We're at mm. 21. I think our friendship's old enough to have a drink. That's what we figured out. <laughs> he's the kind of person who's got a tourniquet around his leg. He's always mm. prepared and he's always making sure. So I feel like in that moment, he had he been on the train, he would have just ran over. No formal medical training, but he would have been like, somebody do something. And... Well Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no, you're no, no, that's good. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll bring up Alfred Douglas now. Alfred Douglas, you know, people call me the subway hero and all this other stuff. And I'm always grateful for the kind words. There was a gentleman on the train that day who was a construction worker, has no medical training, no first aid training. And his name's Alfred Douglas. And Alfred Douglas was the one person who came over and um, he, he applied pressure to my deepest wound. Uh, basically with his bare hand because someone had given him some napkins, but they were basically saturated within three seconds. Uh, and Alfred Douglas, he, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my history. Uh, he doesn't know if there's anything in my blood that's going to get him sick. And he selflessly came and, uh, and applied pressure to the, the biggest wound on the back of my head. So uh, that's my hero is Alfred Douglas. And for you to say that, like, and like you said, in that moment, you didn't just say, hey, look, there's there's the, the guy that's been terrorizing everybody. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be famous. Like, that wasn't what it was. No. That man in, in, inserted you into that narrative. There was no way around that. What were you going to do? Sit there and do nothing? Uh, if, he, if I sit there and do nothing, then we're not speaking today. Because yeah. if I sit there and do nothing. See, that's the thing. If I, if I retaliate, I have the opportunity to live. If I don't retaliate, then I'm dead. And my wife's a widow and my kids are... Uh, you know, without a father. And, and that's the part that uh, I would never be able to 
get past. So, uh, you know, I say it all the time and maybe people think it sound hokey, but uh, those three people, my wife and my two boys were the reason why I fought that day. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, you know, we're, we're coming up, it's been 12 years. That doesn't mean, you know, it's <clears throat> any less prevalent or it's any less there. Cause I guarantee around this time of the year, it kind of hits you. Like if you, you know, any travel, like anything has got to like, like you said, it's not PTSD, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, wow, like if I hadn't done what I did, like we wouldn't be here today. Well, I'll, I'll do you one better. It happens five days a week because I still work in the city and I still take the subway every day. Well, let's say 10 days a week because I take it uh, to and from work. So, um, you know, it's nothing I dwell on. Um, and there have been things that have happened in the city recently and, and during the last 10 years, 12 years that um, when they happen, I, I get texts and, and messages from people saying, hey, how are you doing? I, I saw this thing happen in the subway. Um, you know, how, how are you holding up? And, you know, for the most part, I handle it OK. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Actually, it was uh, maybe two weeks ago uh, or last week, I think it was. And it just came out of nowhere. Like it just hit me like, you know, just thinking about what what went down and how it could have really gone sideways in a hurry. And, uh, you know, just it doesn't hit me often like that, but it did. And I, I had to take a moment almost to not compose myself, but maybe, maybe catch my breath a bit because, um, you know, I, I've told this story a million times. I told you before we started uh, started recording that it's it's like I'm telling someone about a movie. But every now and then I kind of I kind of think about it and I just realize that, you know, if, if I had done anything differently instead of him stabbing me in the head he might have severed my spinal cord and then if i'm paralyzed i'm done you know yeah. so i'm i'm just uh, i'm very fortunate i'm very lucky and you know i'm just i'm happy to be here with you tonight yeah absolutely and you know we talk about you brought up you know the mma we're gonna say background because <laughs> everybody who watches we all know there's that one guy who's like i could be him i could, I could do this but i think in that moment you really think about it i think you're what you call a failed single leg you know kind of a sloppy more like a, a it's probably what stopped him from getting to other you know other spots to have so it's really like it's a crazy turn of events and i don't mean to smile or like i'm not no, laughing no. about any of it but it's fucking crazy man <laughs> like well, well and, and i'll tell you what <clears throat> i i will say this uh, I always say this whenever it comes up. I want to thank my friend Dean because Dean, my friend Dean, uh, and we've been friends way long enough for our friendship to have a drink. It's been uh, <laughs> quite a few years. He was the one that called me the day before UFC one. And he basically said, have you heard about this tournament? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he's like, oh, it's going to be all the disciplines against each other. And, 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 that. and I was like, wow, I'm intrigued. And then the next night I was one of those people ordering it on pay-per-view and and i was just i was like everyone else that had never heard of the greasies because i'm like they're gonna murder this guy yeah. and uh and i just sat there sat there in awe and i just i fell in love with it then and you know i'd watch it since then and and i always say like the whole idea maybe to go for his legs or a single leg had to be through osmosis because it was must have just been from watching all those events and uh and and honestly when it when it happened and i i had told the reporter um uh single leg takedown it and obviously they hadn't really they don't know much about it they would call it a leg sweep and then it just became leg sweep leg sweep and i would say no it was it was this and and i honestly have to say uh 
as far as MMA goes, I am so grateful to the MMA community really wrapped its arms around me. Uh, Dana White, uh, you know, Keith Jardine, those guys, the fighters, uh, UFC organization, uh, Reed Harris was so amazing to me. And I always say what, uh, what New York didn't do for me, uh, MMA did. The MMA community was unbelievable to me. And then they really, there's, there's really no way to, to make anyone understand how important that was in my recovery. Yeah. And, and like, it's, it's just blown away. Like that statement that you just said right there, you know, what New York didn't do for me, the MMA community, because this community really comes together. And I'll start by saying it's really funny. You brought up UFC one because the last person I had on my show is one of Hoist Gracie's first five black belts. Oh Yeah. Um, and we talk about Hoist, and I got to meet Hoist a few years ago, about four years ago at a seminar. And that man is one of the funniest men I've ever met in my life. And you wouldn't expect it. Like, you yeah. just don't. And, you know, we forget that they're people. And for the, the MMA community, while they've, they've done some questionable things <clears throat> lately, and I won't, I won't pick on it. I'll just let everybody figure it out themselves. Um, you know, when the, the, the other John Jones, if you heard about him, it's oh the guy on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, like a guy who had never watched MMA was like, why are all these people and the <laughs> threats? And he started playing into it mm -hmm. and he started having fun. And then you saw the MMA community just surround them and you'll see it on the post and he'll go, well, I know John's fighting. Cause <laughs> I have, he's like, I had to put my phone on do not disturb. Cause I got 870 tweets that said, you suck quit doing cocaine yeah that guy's and awesome i love him that guy's great he is he was the first one of the the first guests on the show because i thought oh, it was right? really funny. and uh what i found out is when i told people that john jones would be on my show they did not expect him <laughs> and a lot of people shut it off after a minute <laughs> they, they must not have twitter so. no and it was funny because i remember the day he followed me and i went john jones is following and i looked and i was like I mean, this guy looks cool, so sure, why not? Like, I don't care. Um, but you talk about the community that we have, and it's still, there is no community like MMA. You can say, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, and we can talk about hockey because right now it's it's not looking good. Uh, it's two to one Maple Leafs, so we're not happy right wow. now. Well, it's not over yet. Yeah, it's not over yet. Yeah. And um, But realistically, the MMA community just does something different and they saw an opportunity and not not an opportunity to make headlines not an opportunity to you know oh look at us they just went and did something nice for somebody who just went through a horrific experience and used the term single leg takedown like yeah um so basically you know it it, it started out you know leg sweep single leg takedown and um you know, and I say oh, it must be osmosis because I've been watching UFC since the beginning. And then it just kind of blew up from there. And, um, you know, just to the point where it's it happened on a Saturday and Monday afternoon, I'm basically getting a text from Channel 5 here, the Fox station here in New York. Um, Dana White wants to meet you. And I'm just like, what is happening here like, like what <laughs> like yeah i'm like i'm like what you're kidding me and basically what i was told was that they were basically uh, ufc was having a meeting and all their phones were kind of blowing up because this was a pretty big story at the time and then there's this guy saying that you know we stopped this guy in the subway with, you know why he watches ufc ufc and 
And basically Dana was like, I got to meet this guy. And uh, so when I got back to the network, I said, well, yeah, but he's in Vegas, right? He goes, no, he's actually in New York. He's there. He wants to meet you tonight. And I was like, holy oh, shit, no. you know? So, I mean, it was unbelievable. They sent the car for me and um, my wife, we went and met him at the, the hotel they were staying at. And um, I mean, what, a, I mean, listen, I'm going to say this right now. I know he's a, he's a lightning rod for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people don't like him. But I, I will say this, I don't necessarily agree with everything he does business-wise, although who am I to criticize? <laughs> I don't have my own business. I certainly don't have my own empire. Um, but as far as what, what Dana White and the organization did for me, um, I, I, will, I will support him no matter what. I mean, and I, I just want to say, like, one of, one of the coolest things was meeting him and basically uh, – you know, him inviting us to sit cage side for UFC 128. And that was uh, when John Jones beat um, Shogun. Yeah. And, oh, my. Um, for the yeah. title, too. Yeah. And I mean, that was unreal. And just, you know, like my wife and I are sitting there and we're sitting next to him. And, you know, um, I, the funny part about that was we're, we were sitting there and it was in between fights. And he just comes to me. He's like, how you doing? How's everything going? And I said, oh, it's great. I'm like, you know, last time we were here was when um, – um, George St. Pierre fought, uh, fought Dan Hardy was the last, was the last event in New Jersey Yeah, UFC uh, before, before that one. Yeah. And I said, and I pointed to him and I said, my wife and I were three rows from the top, right? I got, we were three. I said, it got to the point where we were just watching it on the scoreboard and he just put his arm around, around me and he goes, those days are over. And I was like, wow, you know, like just unbelievable. And, you know, so like to me, he's what the UFC did for me and my family, you know, I, I mean, even and my kids at the time were 10 and seven and they loved the UFC. They loved Chuck Liddell was their favorite guy. They both had Mohawks. Like it was just unreal. <laughs> and I, I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Um, there was uh, an email was sent to me by Dana's assistant. And she basically said, I need all your sizes, like clothing sizes and, and, favorite fighters and whatever. Okay, no problem. So I send the email. I went to a doctor's appointment here, follow up. He was going to, uh, my, my local doctor. So I didn't have to go back to the city to get the staples taken out. Cause I had uh, all my wounds had stitches and three of them, the three big ones on my head had staples. So he was going to take the staples out. And so I go there, we leave, we come home and we're pulling into the driveway and we're like, Oh, there's some boxes. And then we pull in more cause it's nighttime. And now the headlights shine on. And there's literally 11 or 12 boxes, and I mean big boxes, of merchandise. And we get out, and it's like, I'm like, who is this from? And it's Zufa. And I'm like, holy shit, my kids went bananas. I mean, absolutely <laughs> went bananas. And we bring them all inside, and, you know, this. We're, I basically said at the time, it's like we had a shopping spree at the UFC shop and didn't have to do anything. They just sent us, like, one of everything. And it was, it was unbelievable. And, and like, you know, like you say, people would go, well, they, the UFC never, they never did anything in the press about me because they weren't looking for it. They didn't say, Hey, we sent this guy 11 or 12 boxes of merchandise. They never said, Hey, he's going to sit cage side. They didn't bring me in the cage. They didn't do anything to, to say that they are building a relationship with me. They never did. Dana never did. 
The UFC never did. Um, the person that I'm closest to in the UFC is Reed Harris. He's an unbelievable human being and, and his wife, uh, you know, they're, they're still friends to this day. And, and they're just unbelievable people. Reed and Laura are just incredible. And for me, it was a big deal when they said, oh, Reed Harris. And I'm like, oh, my God, WEC, Reed Harris. I love that. You know, I love the WEC. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm like, this is unbelievable. And just as human beings, I don't know if there's two nicer human beings on the planet. So, uh, but but again, it wasn't just the UFC. It was, it was uh, Frank Shamrock sends my kids a, a limited edition Xbox with the um, with uh, MMA fighters on it. Um, Shane Carwin is sending me stuff. I get, uh, I get a phone call from Keith Jardine. Thanks to Mike Chiapetta. Mike Chiapetta did an interview with me and he's asking me who my favorite fighters are. And I basically said my favorite would be Keith Jardine. Well, I, um, Joey Villasenor reads the article. He tells Keith, Keith calls Mike Chiapetta to get my number. And next thing I know he was, unfortunately he was out of the UFC already he calls me and he invites me and my wife out to Albuquerque to watch one of his fights. This was a fight he had prior to getting uh, uh, in Strike Force. So it was mm -hmm. in between UFC and Strike Force. And, you know, the promoter, and we're going to put you up in the hotel and you're going to come and sit, you know, VIP seats and everything. And I, you know, there was a, I guess a couple of fights finished quicker than they thought. I end up in the cage with Rashad Evans. I'm just like, <laughs> this is unbelievable. Like, I, I'm there with the, with the whole, <laughs> like I'm, I'm Jackson Winklejohn has their own little stage there because it's Albuquerque and my wife and I are sitting there with those guys. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. So it really was uh, just, just an unbelievable experience that the, the, the MMA community really, I, I say this, I don't, I don't know how my healing would have progressed without those people because it really you know what the most important thing it did it really took my mind off things it yeah. really was a big distraction and it took my mind off things and it allowed me to mentally psychologically heal in a way you know physically you're going to heal at your own pace but all of these things were just unbelievable distractions and it wasn't just for me it was anything that we were invited to it was the four of us it was my wife it was my sons and it was just it, it it will always mean the world to me that the that the UFC and the, and the MMA community in general really really stepped up big time for me when they didn't have to and for for no gain for themselves it was strictly selfless so no and that's that's what a lot of the good MMA community is about and i say good cuz we talked about that line there's good and there's bad but realistically like i remember I think I barely had a Twitter around the time that everything happened with you. And I remember seeing the story and being like, I got to talk to this guy. And I think I messaged you then. Yeah. And we're, we're talking 10 plus years ago at this point. And I just mm -hmm. remember being like, you know, we would chat every now and then, but nothing much. But I just remember just wanting to reach out and be like, thanks for what you did. And I know that's kind of weird. You know, I don't live in New York, but you, we don't know what, what could have happened in that situation. Had he not come up to you and someone else, not even in the same car, we're talking about him going on a, a spree of eight instead of four or five. You know, it's it changes everything. And I think what the MMA community does very well to this day is we will take – it's always our mission to take somebody who either doesn't watch it as much or has never watched it 
and show them that we're not just barbarians. We're not just, you know, it's not just human cockfighting. Like we are literally people and we're some of the most interesting people you'll find. And you're also some of the most generous people. And, you know, hearing, you know, that Frank Shamrock did that, Keith Jardine, like that's crazy to hear about that stuff because it's not stuff that was widely talked about because again, they didn't go, Hey, look at what we sent this guy. Like, look at what we're doing. They just did it. And that to me speaks volumes. Speaks. Speaks (laughs) volumes. Yeah, no. It it really is. Nobody, uh, you know, I think, I think when I went to Albuquerque, it was, it was in a magazine in Albuquerque. Um, but it wasn't none of these people did anything uh to promote themselves like you know i i would people would post about it and say well of course they're they're doing it you know they're jumping on a big story and i would say no where do you see anything about it if you don't see it coming from me or you don't see like ariel or someone like that posting about it they're not the ufc is not posting about it you know no yeah. one they're not posting about it. it it's it's the mma media that would post about it and that's their job but they're not posting about it to get the ufc any sort of you know points or anything like that so that that is the best part it was never about uh the individual fighter or the individual organizations doing it for notoriety because they didn't you know it was just it was just really good people um doing really nice things for someone who definitely needed it at the time yeah, and I think, you know, to anybody, hopefully somebody who was a part of that, whether it was an interview or saying you something like whatever it was, not looking for notoriety, just thank you to each yeah. one of you that were a part of that. Because like Joe said, like you said, like <clears throat> that is what got you through it. Yeah. You know, sitting in a hospital bed, probably thinking over and over, what could I have mm-hmm. done differently? What could I, what, you know, you're thinking going, going, going. And instead, you've got this outpouring of a community that you've only seen from afar. Yeah. Very far. (laughs) (laughs) Third row from the top far. So I think that's crazy. So we talked about kind of our love for hockey before that. I'll shift the gears, but my first game was in 1997. I was three rows from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So I know exactly how you feel about that because I've been there and you're like, I can't see anything. (laughs) But you know what? For hockey, it's not so bad because the ice is so big. When you're three rows from the top and you're trying to look at the cage, your eyes are going to – you almost have to specifically avert your eyes from the scoreboard while you're looking down. And it, for, for an MMA card, it's almost impossible. No, and so. that's the thing is that I remember the first time I went to a fight live. Like it was UFC. It was UFC on FX3. It was in Fort Lauderdale. It was like a Harley-Davidson – you know, they did a uh, a contest and they're like, the most votes, that's where it's going to be. And I remember hearing the fights and I'm like, where's all the sound? I can't hear the commentary. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, bup, 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 pitter, pitter. And then, like you said, when you sit in those higher seats, you look and you're like, you know, I can see everything way better up there than if I look down here. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I remember my first fight. My my first live event was actually um, the Elite XC, the one with when Kimbo fought uh, Thompson. Oh, yeah, at, uh, at Prudential Center because um, that my friend. Uh, uh, I work in uh, box office. That's that's my job, and uh, I started 
that career at Madison Square Garden. And one of my bosses went over to the Prudential Center when it opened. Mm -hmm. So when um, when they got that card, he called me. He's like, would you want to go? And I said, yeah. He goes, all right, when we get closer, I'll, I'll be in touch. So he got me some tickets and we went there. And uh, I think, I, you know, I was the only one, I think, rooting for Joey Villasenor when he fought uh, Phil Baroni because we're so local to Long Island. I think everyone was rooting for Baroni except oh, yeah. my wife and I. We were rooting for Joey. So uh, <laughs> that was it. And here's another, here's another tidbit for you. The day of the attack, uh, we were going to go to uh, John Volante. Long Island guy. Okay. Yeah. Long, Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. Long Island. They were, uh, there was a, a card at the Meadowlands, I believe. I believe it was the Meadowlands. And we wanted to go. I was going to try to get tickets that night and go to that card, but I couldn't because I was in the hospital. I wanted to see John and, uh, and Ray Cepho was actually fighting that night too. So oh, I wanted to, those shit. were the, those were the two guys I wanted to see, but I was uh, otherwise occupied. <laughs> I still think it's crazy that Ray Seppo fought on one of his own cards. Yeah. Because you had to think, like, the other guy was like, I don't want to beat up the guy who signs my paycheck. Really? <laughs> I don't want to beat no. up the boss. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I mean, I, you know, I always, uh, you know, talk about UFC and MMA. Like, I think the for me, the most exciting discipline was always kickboxing. You know, I always liked the kickboxing and the Muay Thai and, um, you know, just going back to the old K one and, and things like that. I, I love that stuff. And, you know, up through, you know, glory, I, I think they do, uh, they do a great job. And um, so I, I love the kickboxing aspect. So that's where I want, I was like, Oh, I could, I could see Ray Seffel fight in person. And, uh, but it wasn't to be, fortunately I was able to see John fight in person a few times after that though. See, that's cool though. Yeah. Um, I know, I know one of John's last fights, he fought Chris Barnett who's somebody mm -hmm. that I've known for years. He actually yeah. is a Tampa native. They don't really talk about that that much. They say he fights out of joy. I'm like, he's yeah. from Tampa. Don't, <laughs> don't discredit us, would you? Yeah. Um, but it's it's so funny because, like you said, you know, you just talked about some some heavy hitters, mm. or as or as GSP would say, heavy hitters. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. GSP GSP still gave me the best line in all of MMA ever, and he just said, "Josh Koscheck is not a tomato can." <laughs> and everyone was like what <laughs> what are you talking about yeah and and i'm waiting for somebody to call me out on that one because it's still mm. my favorite because i'll say it all the time and then when we're watching hockey somebody will say oh he's a heavy hitter and i'll go heavy hitter you have to get rid of those h's well um, i still i still like i am not impressed with your performance which is funny because <laughs> his english was so bad at the time yeah he thought that Matt was talking down to him. Yeah. And he literally just went in there and said that. And they've yeah. even said like later on, like, I didn't know what he said. I just <laughs> got in there and said stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. But and it's funny because George is like one of the most dangerous guys on the planet, but he just seems like such a salt of the earth, good guy that anyone could have said something in his ear and he may have said it and not know what it was anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think in that moment, you know, there's, there's times where, this isn't the WWE. This isn't, you know, wrestling. But you can't tell me some of those scenes are not so scripted that you're like, oh, look, hey, the person that you want to fight, that you are that you just called out out of nowhere, hey, look, he's sitting right there. Yeah, Let's oh, yeah. bring him in. Yeah. 
Well, I, I was like going back to 128. Like what I thought was really cool was when um, when Jones won and then they brought Rashad in the cage right away. And because, you know, there was the whole thing with the Jackson Winkle, John, you know, this, the whole John Jones, Rashad. And, well, and Rashad was supposed to fight Shogun. Yeah. And what people don't know, um, that was the, so that card was after um, I went to Albuquerque. And I had met Rashad. And like I said, I ended up in the cage with him to kill some time. And as Rashad is going to the cage, he he whispers in my ear. He goes, man, you're everywhere. And then he goes into the cage and they they uh, <laughs> they had the uh, the thing with John. And I was like, oh, man, I like I got goosebumps right now just talking about that. And Because uh, awesome. I, I love Rashad, too. So I was he's like, man, you're everywhere. And I was like, oh, shit, that's amazing. So and, and that's again, that's the feeling of. You know, it's the feeling of metal bands and MMA fighters. And I'll say that because a metal band will see you once. And the second time you go to see them, they're like, hey, it's you. Yeah. And you're like, me? me? <laughs> well, I and I will say this. You know who you can also throw in there? We talked about this a little bit uh, before we started here. Are um, the hockey fighters. They're the same way. Hockey fighters are the same way. You meet them once, they'll remember you forever because they're just like regular guys. And they they are they're the best guys in all the sports. They are just regular blue collar guys. And uh you meet them once and that's it, and they'll never forget you. Well, and uh, hopefully somebody gets to some fighting because Toronto did win two to one. Oh. All right. All right. Well, there's and I there's heard nobody there's I there's, heard you guys were watching the game and you didn't yeah. watch the other three. So you guys are responsible for this. I take I take full responsibility. So uh I will not watch any of the next game. No, and I I, I use the S word, not the shutout, but I use the S word today. Uh, I'm well, gonna then, take some responsibility too. Well uh, listen, you used it before we fucked up, so it's your fault. <laughs> so that's that's all on you. Oh shit. Well and perfect transition because as soon as you turn on your camera i'm like i see hockey pads i see jerseys i saw one that i wanted to burn in the back because it looks like it's a bruins jersey but i could be well, wrong actually it's a providence bruins jersey it's their okay, we're okay, we're affiliate okay. um uh, a friend of mine eric cairns he, he he's a former uh, nhler he actually is the director of uh pro personnel now for the islanders and uh but when he got uh when he got picked up by the Islanders, they didn't bring him up right away, and he played a few games in Providence. So that's actually his Providence Bruins jersey. Okay, that's oh. acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Everybody in Boston. <laughs> yeah, he never he was never part of the Bruins organization. It was alone. So uh, so yeah, it was just alone. He played a couple of games there and then came up here. So talk about the room that's behind you, because again, you know, I know from the book. I won't say I've read the book because I feel terrible that I haven't read the book because I love reading. There's a whole bookshelf of stuff. But I know that I was reading through the reviews and somebody was like, this is just a sports guy. And I was like, that makes it even cooler. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, what am I supposed to be? That's who I am. Uh, as far as the room goes, very fortunate that my wife is is a hockey fan. We actually met at a hockey game. Um, she's she's a... Uh, I mean, just a maniacal sports fan, uh, as big as any guy that I know. Um, and I have been, I, I've been a collector of memorabilia for a very long time. And basically what I would do if, uh, for people that aren't familiar where the Nassau Coliseum is where the Islanders used to play on the other side of the parking lot is a Marriott hotel. And most of the teams would stay at the Marriott. 
So people would be outside in between the Marriott and the Coliseum waiting for autographs. I would be there. I would get an autograph or two, but mostly I would make fight tapes of the guys that were coming in. So I would put all their fights on a tape and I would give it to the player and, and try to trade them for a stick or something like that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So at, at the most, when I was in, when I was in, you know, um, you know, before real life took over, I had accumulated over 600 sticks. Um, and I had a you know bunch of Sorry, jerseys. What? Yeah. I, I had over six, 600 sticks just of guys who fought. Um, unfortunately at a certain point, real life took over. Um, uh, my wife got into a car accident. She's fine. Uh, but we needed to buy a new car. So I had to liquidate a lot of the collection, but I'm rebuilding it now. Uh, I have a uh, 150, 149. I'm, I'm, uh, Next one will be 150, but on the wall here, I got a bunch of jerseys, um, some gloves, uh, some helmets back there. Just, uh, you know, I, I said the guys who do that job are, are really good. They're really gracious. They're really appreciative. And some of these guys I've been friends with since for 30 years or so. Uh, started out just meeting them as they're walking across the rink. And, um, you know, we still talk to this day. So, um, so they're good guys and, um, you know, I'm, I'm real fortunate. And so we've been in this place now about a year and a half. I've never had, uh, I've had a room here or there in places we've lived, but never anything. I have the whole basement here. And if, uh, I could lift up my laptop, I take you around. It's a pretty good size basement and, uh, I have, uh, everything over here. So this is just, uh, a small portion uh, of what I have, but, uh, it's, it's cool because, I get to share it with my family because we all love sports and we come down here and watch the games and, and stuff like that. And it's not, you know, people call it a man cave, but uh, you know, I, I'm cool. I'm lucky. I have a wife that's cool enough to appreciate the stuff too. So what's the official name for it then? If it's not the man cave, you know, I don't know. I, I, I've been messing with a few things. I was going to call it the cement factory, uh, you know, stuff like that, but I don't, I don't really have a name yet. I, I should think of something, but I'm leaning towards cement factory. I mean, the sin bin sounds cool, but it also sounds like you're doing some really weird shit down there. So. Well, sin bin would work because people that know hockey know what it is, but, uh, but that could be it too. But, uh, I don't have an official name yet. Maybe that's something I should get on right now. Maybe uh, I'll take the summer to think about it <laughs> So before, uh, before next season starts, I'll have a name for it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so funny because to me, you know, I grew up, I watched, you know, I played baseball, I watched football, and I kind of watched hockey. I didn't really understand it growing up. And I remember going to that game and being like, I love this. Like, this is what I love. And then when I kind of fell out of football, it was around the same time I fell in love with MMA. Mm -hmm. And it changed everything because I'm not a violent person. I don't fight people. But I loved watching fights and listening. And like you said, learning through osmosis. And I'll never forget, I'm watching a fight and I went, just get up. Like, I don't <laughs> understand why. And then I started training jujitsu. Yeah. And I got stuck in that same position. And I went, oh, that's why. Because he can't move. Yeah. And there, yeah. there's certain things you'll see. And I think I'm never going to say to anybody, I could beat you in the cage. Like, nah, it's not going to happen. But I've seen things and <laughs> I've been I've been watching fights and I'll say stuff. And then the commentary team will say the exact words I just said. And I keep telling my girlfriend, I was like, you have to stop letting them bug the house. <laughs> it's getting out of hand here. Yeah, exactly. Great minds, right? They're just stealing your stuff. <laughs> 
Hey, you know, you said jujitsu. I want to, I want to say thank you to someone else. You know, when everything happened, uh, um, I mean, I think everyone knows the name Matt Sarah and, uh, and Matt, he had uh, a few of his uh, schools here on Long Island and, uh, he, uh, he had my, my son's trained at his school for a couple of years and, uh, and he didn't charge us a dime. Um, wow. you know, he, I mean, he, we, I think, no, actually I shouldn't say that we did pay. And then there was a certain point where something happened and we were having some financial problems and I told him we were going to have to stop. And he's like, no, don't stop. Just, just keep them coming. So, yeah. so we did start out paying. And then when I told him we'd have to leave, he said, no way. He goes, you're not leaving. And, uh, and, and they continued to train. And that was, uh, that was really nice of him to do that. He's, uh, he's, oh, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but he was always really great to me and, uh, and, and loved my kids and, well, he's a fantastic person. So, uh, so I just wanted to say that, uh, I don't know if he watches, but, uh, oh, but you know, he we're going to get him to watch this one <laughs> because, because so one of his, one of the, one of the people that trains with him, Matt yeah. Favola just won last weekend yep. and he splits his time between Gracie Tampa South and, you know, New York. Mm -hmm. And so congrats to Matt. That was an amazing steamroller win. And uh, yeah, Matt, Sarah, kick-ass person um we'd yeah. love to have you on the show <laughs> yeah and see how a little plug there well you could talk about how the sports are intertwined because i got a friend that i met in orlando this year played for the solar bears uh long island kid jimmy mazza who was at the fight because he's buddies with frivola see it's it's all intertwined here and so. that's again i love it and it, it yeah. will never change to me yeah. the two sports to watch hockey and mma i cannot well, watch football anymore so the, watch well, baseball. Uh, baseball i gave up on a few years ago i just think it became too much of a me sport and they're they're messing around with the game too much uh which is unfortunate because i think two seasons after i bailed i, I grew up a braves fan that's when they won the world series uh but that's okay I, I saw my world series in 95 uh football i can only watch uh buffalo i'm a bills fan they're the only i can watch buffalo bills and i actually really enjoy the canadian league believe it or not i, I find it really really fun to watch um when I was in Orlando, the cool thing was um, their coach, Matt Karkner, he was a player here. He played a, had a great career in the NHL. He was here on the island for a little bit. And my wife and I were down in Florida visiting friends in Sarasota. And uh, I, I texted Matt and I said, uh, hey, you guys have a game. I want to come to the game. And uh, he's like, actually, would you come in and talk to the team? You know, tell them your story and things like that, which is great because that's really something I want to get into. I want to get into public speaking and I'm always hesitant to call it motivational speaking because I don't I don't know if you really need if a grown adult should need another grown adult to motivate them. But but, you know, like inspiration, whatever it is, you know what I'm trying to say, um, which I was floored by. And it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, uh, Matt's been someone that's been in my corner. He's big. I don't want to say like he supports me. He's just on my he's in my corner. And um, the cool thing was a lot of these guys are really young. And uh, there was a kid there named, I, well, everyone's a kid to me, kid there named Luke Boca. And he came up to me and he's like, hey, do you watch MMA? And I said, well, I don't really watch too much anymore. I said, but I, I grew up, well, I didn't grow up with that. I was in my 20s. I said, but I, I love it. And and we started talking about guys and he was saying guys that he likes now, which unfortunately I don't, I didn't know any of the names. And I go, let me throw a name at you. I don't know if you've ever watched this fights. And he's like, who? I'm like, Vanderlei Silva. And he goes, no, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, all right, your assignment. He's a kid. This is a kid. I go, your assignment is to go and watch Vanderlei Silva fights on YouTube. I said, 
that is the epitome of violence. I said, you yeah, must watch, watch the pride fights. Yeah, you must must watch Vanderlei Silva. So it was cool because like a lot of these hockey guys, especially the more physical guys, they really like MMA. And a lot of them incorporate training. Uh, for my podcast, I interviewed a, a, a player named Yannick Turcotte. He was uh he was in in the Islander system for a little bit. He's playing in Adirondack now. Uh he he trains MMA. He trains MMA. Does a lot of heavy bag work. A lot of these guys do it, and uh, and they really they don't just train it. They they enjoy watching it. So it's it's pretty cool when when uh, the hockey fighters and the MMA they kind of get together. They kind of mesh. So for me, it's kind of like two worlds that I really enjoy. Yeah, and I, I'll say this. It was a few years ago. I could probably look it up. Chernak did something, and he hit-tossed a guy that was fighting him. And I was like, that's an MMA move. And I was like, you didn't just do that. And even Tanner Janot earlier yeah. in the season, he boxed, and he literally slipped, turned the hips, and did the uppercut. He didn't just mm-hmm. go, oh, uppercut. Knocked the guy out cold. Yeah. And I went, oh. And I yeah. I'd love to get more hockey guys to talk about that the MMA factor because there is a huge factor. You watch some of these fights and you see two people who look like they've never thrown a punch, mm-hmm. and they're just yeah. kind of hitting. And I'm like, why, why are you hitting them in the pads? Why are you? Hitting? Yeah. And then you see those guys, like you said, the the enforcers, the fighters mm-hmm. were really like ready to go. Yeah, and um, the differences differences nowadays. Back at back in the day, like in the eighties, when there wasn't MMA or it wasn't mainstream, whatever, you'd always get, you know, the whole thing with Bob Probert in Detroit training at Kronk's gym and him and Joe Coase are going to Kronk's gym. Where now, you know, in the last what is it, uh, you know, 30 years, what you know, 30, 35 years, MMA is is huge. So now these guys aren't just going to boxing gyms. They're they're training in all the disciplines because something like jujitsu, they're not going to fight on the ground, but there's the grappling aspect to it where you're grabbing a guy's jersey and you're trying to hold yeah. out hold a guy out grip. and you want to you want to do the grip. So that that's where the jujitsu would come in. And of course, you know, teaching them how to throw a punch. Uh, the right way, like with your whole body. So it's not like it used to be. It used to be, hey, I went to a boxing gym. Where now, now these guys aren't going to boxing gyms. They're they're going to MMA gyms in the off season to train, and and it's all part of the routine. It's not even a question. It's just a question of which one are we going to? Yeah, and I and I love that because even seeing you just see fighters cross train. You're seeing a lot more fighters go to different gyms to get those different aspects. You know, this is they're not always going to have a one stop shop. And I love that NHL players are kind of branching out because, like you said, the grips are so important. Yeah. Judo, jujitsu, whatever you're looking at there, grips are number one. And in that moment, you're sitting there, it's a grip battle. And sometimes you just see a guy throw another guy down and you go, that wasn't just on, you know, an accident. Like he knew exactly what he was doing in that moment. Yeah, we used to have more access to the hockey players here um, with the Islanders than we do now. Um, but I would always tell the guys who would fight if I knew them or just met them, I would say, listen, if you're thinking about training, you know, I would always, you know, Keith Trimble here, he he runs uh, Belmore Kickboxing MMA. Mm-hmm. And I, I know Keith really well and I train there. And um, I would always say you should go see Keith over there because he's unbelievable. Like to me, he's the master. And uh I would always say, go to Belmore, tell them that you know me and, and, and they'll, they'll work with you and everything. I said, cause you're not going to find any better training. And I don't know if they ever took me up on it, but I would always get in their ear, go to Belmore. 
you know, go to Belmore and, uh, you know, cause I would do personal lessons with Keith maybe twice a month, you know, uh, just hitting the mitts and everything. Well, I mean, what a workout. I mean, it's an unbelievable workout and, uh, you know, just, I would be there when some of the pro guys would be there and just watching them, I would be, I'd be standing there just like this, like, like, wow. Like I, I, I just, I would, I remember one day I was walking into the gym and it sounded like there was a machine gun going off and it was Keith holding mitts for a Costa Philippou. And it just sounded like it was just his hand speed. It was like, I never, I'd never heard anything like that before. And this, I was probably 20 feet outside the gym and the door was open and it's just like, pop, 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 pop. And I'm in there and I, I don't even think I made it. I think I just was like, holy shit, like that. A human being can do that. And it was like, wow, just to see it up close, you know. And that's amazing because, again, the the MMA community garnered something for you. Opened a door that you were staring at and looking at and going, "Eh, you know, I like watching it. but And that's the thing. You like watching it, but to do it in any form changes your life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just like the friends, the friends that you make in it, like I said, um, you know, Keith Jardine and I, we, we, you know, speak and text or direct messages every now and then, you know, and like I just mentioned Keith Trimble, uh, uh, him and I haven't spoken in a bit, but I think we're, we're the kind of friends where we could not speak for six months and within four texts, you know, we're done. We're back. It's just like the kind of like the guy friendship, you know, and, and I consider Keith a really good friend and uh, just, you know, uh, someone I used to talk to Pat Militich all the time, but I think he's off of Twitter now. Um, but uh, it's just cool. And, you know, one guy who I haven't met yet in person that I, I hope some point gets to New York. I know he's big into gaming is uh, Jens Pulver. That's uh, that's on my bucket list to meet Jens Pulver. So uh, he's one of my all timers. And and Jens getting the way they inducted him into the UFC Hall of Fame recently and didn't tell him that's what it was for. Yeah. And just watching Jen. Jen's weep yeah had, like it just hits right here because that was long overdue oh god you know, yeah. we yeah. talk about the people who are probably you know who are either never going to get into the ufc hall of fame or it's been too long and jen's was on that list frank shamrock's on that list yeah you know and i i feel like put the personal things aside what yeah. those people did for the organization and frank wasn't there that long right right but he made enough of an impact and, you know, so did Ken Shamrock. You know, there's so many people and reading the, the Shamrock book, if you haven't. Yes. Oh it, yeah. It is so intense. Yes. Cause you're like, wow, they should be dead. Yeah. Like, he should but you be know dead. what? A lot of these, if you read Jen's book, that is, he, he has a book out. I don't know if you ever saw that one. It's not a very thick book. I think it, it's an old book, but it talks about his upbringing and you, it, it's like I, I always say, we're, I I live, you know, we're middle class and everything. I work, you know, I've worked two jobs and things like that. I do what I have to do. And there are people that have more money than they could ever spend in 10 lifetimes. And then there are people that are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. And you just we're all on the same planet. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm reading Jen's book about his upbringing and I'm just like, holy shit, I can't believe this is real life. And then you talk about, you know, with the shamrocks and, and the stuff that how they were raised and all this all this other stuff. It's like it blows your mind. And and you think about where they could have ended up, 
Yeah. And instead they ended up, you know, they found sports, they found martial arts and they ended up, you know, being uh, really inspirations to a lot of people. And, you know, I was like, when I read, I, I say it again, when I read Jen's book, I was just floored. And I'm just like, man, I just said, if I, I know a couple of times we talked, and I'm like, if I ever meet you, I'm giving you the biggest hug I can, you know, like it was, <laughs> you know, and uh, I know there were a few times he was, he was uh, saying he might get to New York for some, I know he's a gamer, some gaming thing, but it never panned out. But uh, he's definitely someone I, I listen, I've been real lucky to meet, so many of the fighters that that I, I am big fans of. Jens is one I have not met yet. So he's definitely up there on the bucket list to meet him. Oh, absolutely. And I yeah. and I understand why. Yeah. You know, those the WEC days are the reason I watch MMA. I oh. caught a WEC wreckage, and it was Uriah Faber, Mike Brown to Jose Aldo, Cub Swanson when he did the double flying knee. Yeah. And I was lucky enough when ATT did their grand opening. I got a call from Master Ricardo Laborio, one of the co-owners at the time, and he said, Matt, will you come down and take pictures? I was like, you know, that's four and a half hours away from me. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah of course. Of course. Yeah. And I yeah. drove down there, and Mike Brown was there, and he was signing autographs, and I was like, I know I'm here to take pictures. I was like, but I can't pass up this moment. Right. Yeah. And I walked over, and I just said, hey, man, I was like, I just need you to know that, like, the first fight I ever watched was yours. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so what you think? And I was like, I'm still a fan <laughs> 15 years later yeah, or, you know, 10 years later at that point. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to double check this before I say it, but this always gets me. Um, if you go to Mike Brown's Instagram right now. I'm not going to do it now. But... No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> right now, I'm like, yeah, stop what you're doing. Yeah, I was going to say we're doing something now. The picture that he has for his profile picture, I took. Oh, that's awesome. Seven years ago. And he yeah. still has it. And that's it blows amazing. my mind because I was like, I got to meet him. I got to hands, you know, handshake. And that day I met, you know, Robbie Lawler. He almost kicked my ass. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother <laughs> time. It was a scary day. I'm sure you had it coming. <laughs> Damn, dude. Already, already throwing like cheese. All right, yeah. we're we're throwing the gloves down. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I just, it's funny because just thinking of that, there was a video of Mark Andre Fleury trying to fight Biddington from St. Louis. Yeah. And he's like, come on, let me go. And the ref's like, no, no, no. And he goes, come on. He goes, it'll be good for the fans. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I'm ready to go. He's like, I'm not done with him yet. Yeah. And I think that was the game that Biddington had like slashed a couple of his guys pretty rough. Uh, and I, I went, Biddington needs to be slapped around by someone tougher than Fleury, I think. I, oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm just thinking, like, I'll, go ahead, Brabrovsky. Like, go for it. I, I don't know who is a tough goalie. Like, who do you think is, like, a tough goalie that'd be like, you know what? Let's go. I don't know if there are any more tough goalies. There used to be some really, really tough. There was a guy named Ray Emery. Unfortunately, he's passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy, he loved fighting. I mean, he really, really loved fighting. He was really tough. Um, you know, going back a ways for myself, the Islanders here, Billy Smith, he was a bit of a psycho. Um, you know, there were, there were some pretty tough goalies. Um, Ron Hextall people, people may know that name, uh, but Felix Podvin did pretty well against him. Um, so there was a, a minor league goalie that, uh, always found himself in the middle of stuff named Neil Little. He was in the Flyers, uh, system. He didn't mind duking it out either. So, uh, 
but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, someone someone smack around Bennington. He, I don't know what that guy's story is. Like, I love his spirit, I love his fire, but uh, sometimes I think people need to be uh, brought down a peg. And, yeah. Uh, but you know what? It's the way hockey is now. It's not as tough as it used to be. So people that uh, people that ordinarily, uh, you know, don't look to start stuff they they may now so uh but i don't think bennington's pulling that shit 20 years ago that's for sure no they, he would have got with the net the game i went to i believe it was darren pupo was the goalie for the lightning oh yeah that's uh that's going back a ways that's the good yeah somebody crashed into him and he literally put his stick down took his blocker off like took everything off skated up to him tapped him on the shoulder they turned around and he just decked him right in the face <laughs> Yeah, I just he, remember being like, well, like you said, that's hockey 20 years ago. Yeah, if anyone did that now, the people on Twitter would be calling the police and uh, they'd want them arrested and fined. It's uh, it's unfortunate. It, it seems to be the way a lot of sports are going. And uh, and unfortunately, hockey's, hockey's not immune to that. It's just uh, the kinder, gentler world that we live in. Um, it's, a uh, you know, hockey sports are a microcosm of society. So I guess it's a kinder, gentler game, but, uh, it, to me, it's not better at all. It's, um, it was one of the beautiful things about the sport, uh, accountability. And, uh, there just doesn't seem to be any of that anymore, but that is, uh, a, another show. No, so. and I'll tell you this <laughs> number one thing the NHL needs to do. Look at me, NHL, look at me move headquarters from Toronto because it really looks bad when a team is playing Toronto and things aren't getting called. Just saying. I, I think the worst part about it is I was hoping um, it has not, I, it really has nothing to do with NHL headquarters. It has more to do with Toronto. I was kind of hoping that uh, if they lost tonight, I was going to stay up as late as possible and listen to Toronto sports radio. Because there's nothing like listening to Toronto sports radio after a loss, and especially after a series loss. It's pretty funny. Oh, gosh, yeah. I'm going to have to go back in the archives for that from last year. Yeah, it's – it's any well, other year going back to, you know. Listen, I, I'm not uh, – I think it would be a miracle if they pulled off three more wins in a row. So you could also just be patient, maybe wait a day or two, and you could just listen to it live as it happens. Oh, yeah, I think that will be good. And on that note, Joe, thank you so much, man. This was like – I wasn't sure if we were going to talk mostly about what happened because obviously that is, I'm going to say obviously a hundred times people are going to do shots on that. Um, it's a huge part of your life, but it didn't define who you are forever. Yeah. It is a part of you and it's not anything that's ever going to change. But like you said, you're taking the subway every single day, twice a day. You, you're still living your life. And, you know, I know, I know when I was 18 and I got my first car accident, it was because of a left turn and it wasn't my fault. Somebody literally cut across like from another parking lot. I didn't make left turns without a traffic light for a year. Yeah. I don't blame you. And I, you know, it's just that, that panic and like you almost, I don't want to go to the level of PTSD, but if anybody could have got it from an event, it would have been you in that situation. Let's yeah. be honest here. Sure. And I, we go back to the MMA community. They really uplifted you and showed you, what you did was great. Here's here's what you didn't miss because of what happened. You know, and you said your wife and your kids, those really drove you. And in that moment, and, you know, you got to thank them every day, too. I'm, I'm sure. And I'm sure they're thankful for what happened because, again, different 
different background and not watching UFC one, you know, November of 1993, <laughs> we're not having this conversation. We're not. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I am. Uh, thank you for having me on here. Yeah. I'm, I mean, even before that, you know, my family has been everything to me and um, I've never been one to be like the party guy, even as a teenager or go out and look to sow my oats or anything. I've been, uh, I've been pretty fortunate. I met a, a terrific lady and then we got married and we have two wonderful sons got a big event coming up here in a couple of weeks my uh, my oldest is uh graduating uh university with uh a master's in uh, aerospace engineering so i got uh i got that big moment here we're real fortunate i got my other son he's halfway through college he's going for social work so um i am very blessed all around and i i uh, wake up every day and uh you know, I am very grateful for, for what I have. I mean, you know, I, we, we could always have more in terms of uh, finances or material things, but uh, it's not the, the stuff that matters is what we are, we have in, uh, in abundance and that's love and we love each other and we're real lucky. And, you know, I, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very grateful that there were people, uh, looking out for me that day that allowed me to continue to live my life and experience all this, uh, all this wonderful stuff. So um, anybody that's ever reached out to me and sent me a message or, you know, like we talked about the MMA community and, and things like that. Uh, I just, uh, I know I mentioned a few people here tonight and it really only scratches the surface. There were so many people that reached out to me at the time. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for that. Uh, each and every one of you that ever sent me a message or sent me a text or whatever, uh, it, it definitely helped in my healing process. And I think it's important that everybody knows that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, tell your son going for social work, if he has any questions, two years of social work under the All belt. Right. Absolutely. Tell, no. him <laughs> tell him to run. Tell him to run. Well, he, he loves it. You know, he loves it. And uh, his girlfriend right now, she's going for the same thing. So uh, so maybe one day they'll open up their own practice or something. But, uh, man, I, you know, I just uh, I, I just couldn't be prouder. You know, no, like, absolutely. Uh, it's just incredible. Like it's, I always, I always wanted, uh, you know, I think it's a cliche when you say you want your kids to have it better than you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started college and I never finished. And uh, now uh, I got uh, another week or so and my one son will be graduating with a master's. And then uh, another couple of years, I got another son graduating and man, I just, I hope they dwarf me in everything. You know, I, I hope so. And uh, I'm just so happy. I'm just so proud. So uh, I'm just very lucky. No, absolutely. And I know, you know, I don't have that feeling, but I know my dad has that feeling and he always wanted the best for me. And, you know, it was really funny when I first started the show, like I came out with merch and he's like, how do I get a shirt? Yeah. And like two weeks later, he's sending me pictures of him in his shirt. I and mean, he was so happy about it because obviously it's called Quiggin out my last name, you know, Quiggin. Yeah. So, and uh, but yeah, I think that's every parent what they want. You know, they want it better for their kids. And it's not to say that you had a bad upbringing or, no. you know, sometimes it might have might, might not have been the best. Yeah. But you you do everything you can to carve the way basically for them to make their own choices, their own life decisions. And it sounds like you got two good ones there. So it's super proud and happy for you to have that. And, you know, congrats to both of them just for everything they've done, especially getting a master's in aerospace is not, not an easy task by any means. So. That's Greek to me, man. I, I don't know any of that stuff. 
Well, I, I look at his computer screen sometimes, and I, I don't know what the hell it is. So I say, you know what that is? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, all right, well, that makes one of us. <laughs> so. Well, that's that's perfect. And like I said, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. And I'm just going to take a moment here, um, you know, talk about the sponsors of the show. So we've got La Barba Cubana, Amazing Beard Care, Fat Boy Jiu-Jitsu, Amazing BJJ Gear for bigger guys, not the small guys. Um, at Tim underscore makes knives on Instagram. He makes custom knives. So if anybody out there has got anything, go ahead and message him and see if you can't get that. Also, Bertos bakes good, bakes baked goods. Now I can't even say it tonight. That's that's how excited I am. I'm still talking. Um, amazing bakery out of Orlando. So the next time you're in Orlando, look them up because you will not be disappointed. So most of you notice I wore this shirt for two reasons. You know, saying life is short, you know, when I picked it up and I looked at it, I said, this is the perfect shirt for the show, but it's also one of the sponsors. So Tales of a Concert Junkie, it says life is short, buy the tickets. That goes for concerts, that goes for hockey, that goes for MMA, like just do it. Use the promo code Quiggin out, get 15% off your order. And if you're looking for some training gear, we've got Rev Gear and use that promo code Quiggin out as well. It's one word. I know that was a lot to say, but Joe. More than anything, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show. I know, like I said, we've been talking for a while, and I'm trying to figure out, like you said, this wasn't to get clicks. This wasn't to... I hope not. (laughs) I I certainly hope it wasn't to get clicks. This wasn't to jump on a story, but this was more about two people who love the MMA community and found it in very different ways. And I think, you know how it kept us together, you know, keeps us involved and keeps us intact. You know, anytime anybody's wavering about what's going on in life, like find MMA, I'm telling you now, you're going to find a community full of people. And I'm going to bring up one in particular before I go, you know, Jillian DeCourcy, you know, is literally like in the medical field as far as like psychology goes. And this is a woman who fought last weekend. You know, unfortunately she didn't win defending her title but this is somebody who then goes to work on monday with a black eye and helps people work through their problems like that person you see fighting in the cage more than likely has a day job they have something that they do or that they're passionate about and you can never judge a book by its cover and i i hate that i just use that but it's the absolute truth so you know with that being said joe on behalf of myself combat press the quick and out mma podcast it's just a privilege to have you on, and thank you so much. Stick around, and uh, we've got a few more things to talk about after the show. Oh, hey, thanks for having me anytime. And uh, can I can I just promote my uh, podcast? Is that please, okay? please? So, yeah. So if anyone is interested in hockey or hockey fighting, I do have my own podcast. It's called Coliseum Chronicles: The Penalty Box. Uh, it's an interview based show, and I have on uh, guys who've done the job of the hockey enforcer. Uh, I think I just released my hundred thirteenth episode. Um, so yeah, so it's pretty good. And, uh, the good news is it really doesn't have much to do with me. I just ask the questions and let the real stars of the show, uh, answer them and tell you their stories, their hockey journey. And, uh, we talk about uh, a lot of scraps, so you don't need to be an Islanders fan to enjoy it. But if you like the physical side, uh, you may want to give it a try and it's, uh, it's available on all platforms. And, uh, and Hey, uh, Hey Matt, why don't you have your uh, sponsor there? The beard people send me some beard oil for this thing. What do you think? Oh yeah. No, I'll talk to him. So, Aaron is, <laughs> so yeah, we'll talk about that after yeah. we'll, we'll get on that. So <laughs> everybody watching hey. like, wait, 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 wait. But, yeah. uh, 
thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me to tell my story. It really means a lot to me and my family. So they wanted to say thank you as well. Absolutely, man. So thank you so much. And like I said, stick around and we've got a few more things to talk about. Right on. Hey, guys, don't forget to hit the subscribe little bell. Keep you up to date on all things Quaking Out. Thanks again.